Hi, it's your pal Steamed Hams. Join me every week on the Unforgettable Luncheon as we discuss topics in the nerd world like gaming, comics, cartoons, and whatever else may cross my mind. You can find me on the socials as SteamedHams81 on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find me as the Unforgettable Luncheon on Facebook. And check out Steamed Hams Merchatorium, the link to which will be in the description of this podcast. The Unforgettable Luncheon, nerd comedy at its okayest. In 1968, one of the greatest horror films ever was released, Night of the Living Dead. The film brought us the zombies and the zombie apocalypse genre. But a dispute between the co-writers gave us one of the best horror comedies of the 80s. Return of the Living Dead. Do you want to party? Well, it's party time. Send more listeners as we discuss the Return of the Living Dead movies today on the Unforgettable Luncheon. It's your pal Steamed Hams. I hope you're ready for an unforgettable luncheon. Before I begin, I'd like to announce that I've reopened my online merchandise shop. You can buy unforgettable luncheon swag along with classic Steamed Hams swag. Link will be in the description. Return of the Living Dead, released in 1985, centers around a zombie outbreak in Louisville, Kentucky. This horror comedy was the result of a dispute between the co-writers of the legendary Night of the Living Dead. George Romero and John Russo had very different ideas about sequels for the zombie movie Trailblazer. An agreement was reached that Russo could use the Living Dead suffix, Romero could simply use dead. Each keeping their own work separate and distinct, yet could be their own individual canon. That's why the quote-unquote canon Night of the Living Dead sequels were Of the Dead versus Of the Living Dead. Although, in my opinion, Dawn of the Dead was basically the best zombie movie ever. John Russo wrote a horror novel, Return of the Living Dead, with the intention of adapting it into a screenplay. The film rights were initially sold in 1979, but got passed around various studios, directors, and whatnot like a hot potato before being picked up by Toby Hooper, who wrote a script for Russo. Hooper eventually left the project, and the script never ended up happening. Russo then met Dan O'Bannon, who wrote a script for the film and the accompanying novelization. Now, they cleared any confusion between the two franchises by a scene in the film acknowledging that the Romero films were based on real events, but Return of the Living Dead is the true events. While the Romero films used social commentary and drama with their stories, the Russo films leaned more into the slapstick comedy genre. Russo and O'Banion were only directly involved with the original, with the sequels retaining the outline and less and less followed the rules established by the first Return of the Living Dead. In the first two films, the zombies are more or less indestructible, and the only way to become one is to be exposed to a chemical called 245-trioxin. The third film, along with the two direct-to-sci-fi channel sequels, uh, let you turn after being bitten like a standard zombie, uh, and zombies could be killed with damage to their brain, like the Romero zombies. 
Now, we're only going to talk about the first three because the last two are so off the fucking rails that they're pointless to talk about. I mean, they're a mess. So, yeah, we're not going to waste our time with it because it just completely ignores everything from, like, the first three. So, yeah. Um, Shockingly, they're actually worse than House of the Dead. Yes, I know. That's a hard hurdle to, uh, to jump, but it happened. Anyways... It's party time. Return of the Living Dead takes place on July 3rd, 1984. Why do you think I picked it for this week? It centers on a zombie outbreak in Louisville, Kentucky. Frank, the foreman at the Unita Medical Supply Warehouse. Remember when jokes like that could be considered clever? <laughs> you need a medical supply? Call us! Uh, he's given the 50-cent tour to the new hire, Freddy, before closing up for the holiday. He takes Freddy down to the basement and shows him some barrels. Frank regales Freddy with the story of how Night of the Living Dead had been based on true events, and that the chemical contained in the barrels, 245-trioxin, had leaked into the basement morgue of a VA hospital, reviving the corpses. Somehow, a few barrels containing the chemical and a corpse ended up with them at the supply company, and their boss, Bert, just never called the army to return them. Frank slaps the container only to have the made-by-the-lowest-bitter-barrel uh, rupture and spew gas all over both of them, seemingly liquefying the corpse inside in the process. Uh, Frank and Freddy are knocked out, and after coming to, the two dummies head back upstairs to find the chemical had reanimated various dead things in the warehouse, including a cadaver in the freezer. They call Bert for help, and the three attempt to destroy the reanimated cadaver using the rules from Night of the Living Dead. You know, destroying the brain, dismembering anything they can do, but to no avail. They chop up the body, which is still wiggling and screaming as, the, as they bag it up, and take it to the nearby mortuary run by Bert's pal, Ernie. Yes, you heard that right. Bert and Ernie. And Ernie may or may not be a German war criminal, so there's that. The group realizes the only way to fully destroy a zombie is to cremate it. Problem is, when they burned it, uh, the evaporated trioxin in the bodies mixed with the rain clouds overhead. I think we can see where this is going. Meanwhile, Freddy's girlfriend Tina, along with her friends Chuck, Casey, Scuzz, Spider, Trash, and Suicide wait for Freddy to get off work. They decide to hang out in the local cemetery while waiting. Because that's where you go when you're waiting for your friends to get off work. While Trash starts stripping on a gravestone, I mean, 80s horror films had so much gratuitous nudity back then, you know, we, we, had, our, we had our boobs and we had our violence. That's all we needed. Uh, Tina wanders to the warehouse, you know, to see Freddy, and down to the basement where she runs into the mostly melted corpse from the barrel. Uh, the group arrives shortly after when uh, they hear her screams. The group saves Tina, but suicide is killed in the process. The contaminated rain starts falling, and they head to the mortuary through the cemetery, but are attacked by the re-emerging zombies, all them monsters popping out of the ground, you know, thriller style. Trash is killed in the ensuing chaos, Chuck and Casey escape back to the warehouse, while Tina, Spider, and Scuzz make it to the mortuary. After seeing that Frank and Freddy are deteriorating from the triaction exposure, uh, they call paramedics. I mean, 
logical thing to do. Paramedics arrive and are puzzled during assessment uh, by the fact that the two are talking and conscious and just generally conversing, despite showing every sign of being dead. Look, if I'm on scene and what we call a triple zero, meaning no blood pressure, no pulse, no breathing, is talking to me, you know what? No patient found, crew cleared, we're getting the fuck out of there. Once Bert and Ernie discover, yes, it sounds funny when I say Bert and Ernie, uh, Bert and Ernie discover that the dead are rising from the grave, they barricade the mortuary. Scuzz is killed defending the barricade, while the zombies kill the paramedics and police arriving on scene. The group is able to capture the top half of a zombie and restrain it to a mortuary table to interrogate it. It reveals that the zombies can feel themselves rotting, and eating the brains of the living alleviates the pain of being dead. Frank and Freddy start showing signs of turning, so they're locked in the chapel, along with Tina, who refuses to leave Freddy. Because when your boyfriend is becoming a brain-eating zombie, you don't want to leave his side, but you also don't want to die. So, when Freddy tries to eat Tina, the group breaks the door down and blinds Freddy with acid. Frank, still having his faculties, you know, before he fully turns, goes to the crematorium to, well, commit suicide uh, by immolation because he doesn't want to turn. Bert and Spider flee in a police car, but have to leave Ernie and Tina behind due to a crowd of zombies separating them. Ernie and Tina hide in the attic from Freddy and the other zombies, while Bert and Spider make it back to the warehouse and find Chuck and Casey. After defeating the melted zombie, a.k.a. Tarman, who we do see a couple times in uh, the franchise, albeit different Tarman, but same type of character, they attempt to call the police, who, well, were already massacred by the zombies. So, nobody's available? They call the army phone number on the barrels and reach Colonel Glover, who, upon finding out that those barrels have been found and the zombies have been released, has the area blown up with nuclear artillery on the morning of July 4th. Hell of a fireworks show. Killing all the survivors along with the zombies. As Glover is telling his CO about the success of the strike in a voiceover, the toxic rain, of course, starts falling in Louisville again, raising more zombies as the film ends. Lather, rinse, repeat, I guess. Gotta end it on a weird note. Uh, this was the only film in the series that had any real positive reviews. You know, but the series, like a kid on a sled in wintertime, went downhill from there. This is actually a pretty good entry to the uh, series. The only good entry. You know, I enjoy it. I own it. And believe it or not, back in the early 2000s, when Svengoolie was not national and he had a little more freedom with his movie choices, actually showed this. Of course, they edited it for being on on broadcast TV, but still. Excellent choice for a film, I'll tell you what. Anyways, moving on. Return of the Living Dead Part 2, released in 1988, takes place around the same time as Part 1, you know, within a few days, but in a different, unnamed town. A barrel of Trioxin falls off an army truck in the rain after being transported from Louisville. Um, the driver doesn't notice, of course, because, well, who's always going to notice that? The next morning, the barrel is discovered by a boy named Jesse, along with bullies Johnny and Billy. After they see the corpse inside, 
they run. They hightail it. I mean, what, what kids aren't going to like, oh, my God, a dead body. I'm going to stay here. Well, besides the kids from Stand By Me, but that's a different story. Uh, when Jesse says he's going to call the Army phone number on the side to report it, the bullies decide to lock him in a mausoleum and go back to the barrel, releasing the gas and spreading it all over the cemetery and, of course, contaminating themselves. Grave robbers Ed and Joey, played by the same actors who played Frank and Freddy in the first film, along with Joey's girlfriend Brenda, arrive to loot the cemetery. Brenda stays behind while the others break into crypts to steal the valuables. She doesn't like cemeteries. I don't blame her. They break into the mausoleum Jesse was trapped in, allowing him to escape. Contaminated rain starts falling, and we can guess what happens from there. He gets home and tells, and his sister Lucy tells him simply, Go do your homework. But he sneaks out while she's distracted by the cable repairman, Tom. You know, her love interest for the movie. He visits Billy, who's sick from the trioxin. Billy warns Jesse not to tell anyone. But of course, Jesse goes off, finds a second tar man, runs like hell this time, and tells Lucy what's happening. Of course, she doesn't believe him because it's a horror movie. You know, you're telling someone, oh my god, there's zombies. Oh yeah, bullshit. <laughs> Did you barricade the door? Why? Oh yeah, the zombies. No. You know, shocker that she doesn't believe him, but you know. Huh. Jesse calls Colonel Glover, but is disconnected in the middle of the conversation. The grave robbers uh, steal Tom's truck, but can't get through the crowd of zombies. They barge into Jesse's house, and when the house is overrun, they take off and break into the nearby house of Doc Mandel and convince him to let him use his car. Billy turns into a zombie and kills his mother as his father is killed by a group of zombies. Oh, there we go. Tom, Lucy, Jesse, and Doc flee to the hospital with the grave robbers to find the ER suspiciously empty. Look, if you ever find an empty ER, that hospital just must be closed. Tom, Lucy, Jesse, and Doc go to Jesse and Lucy's grandfather's house and get guns and ammo. They return to the hospital to find Ed and Joey showing signs of rigor mortis. A zombified Ed attacks National Guard soldiers under Glover's command. Um, Brenda is unable to kill Joey, so she lets Jim just eat her brain. Which is funny because, you know, just eating her brain, this is the last one where you get bitten and you don't die. Um, the remaining survivors flee in a stolen ambulance. And they hit a zombie, throwing it into an electric sign, electrocuting it and killing it permanently. Well, now we figured out a way to kill them zombies, which is good. So, after realizing that Tom has been evacuated when they're fired upon by soldiers who think that it's just a bunch of zombies who stole an ambulance, which, yes, you do actually see a scene where the zombies are straight driving a jeep they took from some guardsmen that they killed. Uh, the group lures the zombies to a power plant with cow brains, figuring brains, they'll eat them, and electrocute all the zombies in a trap. Jesse kills the zombified Billy by pushing him into a transformer and electrocuting him. Glover and his men then arrive to contain the situation, extract the survivors, and, you know, destroy the bodies. Now, what was fun was when they were electrocuting all the zombies, out of nowhere, a, a thriller-looking zombie Michael Jackson shows up and, of course, is doing, like, Michael Jackson moves as he's fried. I thought that was actually kind of funny. 
when I when I saw this as a teenager. I actually haven't seen this movie since because I haven't been able to get my hands on it. But I, you know, watched clips and whatnot on YouTube to refresh my memory. So it's an entertaining movie. It's just not as good as the first one. It is kind of good that they kind of found a way to kill the zombies. But, I mean, unless they can get a really cool mass electrocution weapon, they fucked. Now, Return of the Living Dead 3, released in 1993, steered away from the slapstick comedy and, I shit you not, became a teen romance. I mean, I'm not even kidding. It went from slapstick comedy, silly, you know, silly in-jokes, to a teen romance. Not even a rom-com, just a romance. Also, even though this is within the continuity of the previous two films, now all of a sudden being bitten infects you. Which makes no sense. How did it not happen in the first two? And if your brain gets eaten, you don't turn. You get bitten, you turn. What the fuck? Can they make up their minds? Okay, here we go. Taking place five years after the last movies, Kurt and his girlfriend Julie steal his father's keycard and explore the base where he works. His father is an officer in the army and works for a research base. They see Kurt's father, Colonel Reynolds, along with two other officers, experimenting on a corpse. They're working on weaponizing zombies, because that always ends well. You know, the military in these movies always seems more concerned whether they could, not whether they should. And it always bites them in the ass in the end, in this movie pretty much quite literally. Uh, they revive the corpse with good old trioxin because they haven't stopped fucking around with that, apparently. And as it arises, they fire a chemical bullet into its forehead, freezing the zombie, like literally like causing a, uh, an endothermic effect where it just froze its brain. Uh, they figure, hey, that's a great way to kind of control storm, whatever. But the freeze only lasts a short time, like a couple of minutes. And it wakes up and bites a tech, who turns and attacks the other tech before being frozen. Kurt's dad is transferred because of this fuck-up, and uh, Kurt, upset that he has to move again, takes off on his motorcycle with Julie. Julie decides to touch Kurt's no-no spot while he's driving, never a good idea, ladies, and makes him crash his bike, sending Julie flying into a telephone pole. Don't worry, she's okay. I'm kidding, she's dead. So, Kurt brings her back to the base and exposes her to some trioxin. You know, why he thought that was a good idea after seeing a zombie attack is beyond me. But love and horniness make you do strange things. Julie attacks a gang in a convenience store, biting one. She then eats the brain of the clerk who had been wounded when the gang started shooting. Julie finds that the hunger is relieved by massive pain. So she starts impaling glass and metal throughout her body while they're hiding with a vagrant called the Riverman. Julie then infects and kills the Riverman. The gang tracks them down, and Julie kills them gruesomely with her new body modifications. The army shows up as the gang members reanimate, and uh, they're all neutralized by the soldiers. The couple and the other zombies are brought back to the base. Kurt flips his lid when he finds out the army wants to use Julie as a weapon. Big surprise there with the army. He releases the other zombies and is bitten in the process. Instead of leaving the base with his father, 
as it burns. Kurt takes Julie to the furnace, where they die together by immolation. This movie is definitely early 90s schlock. I mean, how do you go from slapstick humor to a teen romance? It just boggles the mind. I'm not even going to go into the other two films because I don't want you, my faithful audience, to lose faith in humanity. Sometime in the near future, I'll hit the Romero dead films, which in my opinion are better overall because they do have a little bit of comedy, but they are more social commentary than anything. At least least like the first three to four, and then it weirdly goes a bit off the rails itself. The Return of the Living Dead films are decent, at least the first three. I mean, I say at least check out the first one and go from there. You might like it. Well, that's it for another Unforgettable Luncheon. I hope a good time was had by all. You can find me on social media as SteamedHams81, on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can find The Unforgettable Luncheon on Facebook. Join me next week when the topic will be something nerdy.